Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And it's time for another installment of Sminty Fiction. Bum bum. I knew you'd come through with the jingle of some kind. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's, Thank it's, you. Like, it's like my variation of SVU, a little yeah. more upbeat. Okay. <laughs> so that's both kind of appropriate, kind of not, because this is not an upbeat story at all. But um, So this is a once-a-month segment where we read some fiction. Christina does some magic. Um, she does lots of magics. Yeah, because she is a magician, a wizard. A wizard. But yes, do not worry. It is, if it's not your thing, it's only once a month. And if this story in particular is not your thing, that's cool too, because this is our first continuing story. This is a multi-chaptered podcast extravaganza of it. (laughs) This one is a continuation of what we read on our last segment of Sminty Fiction, which was the prologue of my story that I wrote in 2010 um, called Terminus, or the depopulation event. The series is called Terminus. This particular one is called the depopulation event. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It is part of three, and maybe we'll get to all three. Uh, Ooh, that'll be quite the adventure. Mm -hmm. And yes, I did write this in 2010-ish, and I haven't edited it much since then. Um, So we're going to go through this together. Uh, And as discussed in the last one, this is like a heavy content warning, okay? Because it is about a virus... It is a dystopian world. It is about a government trying to control people's bodies, particularly women's bodies. And uh, this chapter in particular deals with issues of hunger and internalized ableism. Um, So it's heavy. And especially given what's going on right now, um, this is like the worst timing, perhaps, to release this. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I understand. I understand. I will say this chapter is a, quote, lighter chapter. There's a lot of quotey fingers right now. There are. The heavy quotey fingers. Um, as I said in the, the prologue, 
one I've I've described this as like The Last of Us meets The Road meets Handmaid's Tale. So it's lighter Ooh. is, you know, in perspective. It's all <laughs> relative, but <laughs> it is lighter, I would say. And you get to hear my barely there attempt to do a child's voice. So that might give you some joy. I don't know. That's fun. It might be. Also, this one is a bit uh, longer. It's sort of a setting the stage chapter. So I think I think we'll just dive right in. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The leaves were falling. Bright oranges, vibrant yellows, warm reds, drifting, swirling, crackling. Little parasailers caught in a cool, fluttering breeze. So many had detached from aging cypresses and battered maples on either side of the road that it gave the impression of a colorful rain. White, fluffy clouds dotted a vivid blue sky. The sun shone, radiant, unchanged, unaware of the chaos on the planet it stained. Across from it hung a full moon, the craters on its face clearly visible, the clarity and brightness of its silver light giving the illusion of two suns mirroring each other. A tiny smile tugged at Tilda's lips as she savored the feel of the sun warming her cheeks and the breeze fluttering through her hair. It comforted her that simple beauty such as this still existed, that her child wasn't growing up in a wasteland devoid of all that made life something wondrous to behold and experience as opposed to something to survive because of basic instinct. The seasons marched on. 
There was something humbling about that, both a comfort and a bitter frustration. The slight chill in the air made her heart beat a little faster, worried like acid in her stomach. This was once her favorite time of year, but since she'd been on the run, she'd grown to fear it. She'd have to find somewhere warm for her and Madison to stay, and if luck was with them, warmer clothes. And better shoes, she added to herself with mounting concern. The soles of her current ones were so worn, every crunching step of gravel caused dull spikes of pain to travel up through the calluses lining her feet. Bird, a voice chirped in her ear, tiny hand flinging out to point at the winged creature. She winced at the volume so close in proximity to her ear, but the grimace transformed quickly into a grin. She squinted up at the soaring bird, its long shadow passing over them as it glided above. I think it's a hawk. Hawk? Madison repeated inquisitively. Tilda nodded, and he said his new word several times, testing different inflections, tasting it, feeling it on his tongue. Tilda hoisted him up a bit on her back, where he was riding piggyback, skinny arms wrapped around her neck. She could feel him leaning to the left, tracking the hawk's movement. The wind buffeted, leaves rushing past them, whipping at Tilda's hair. Madison huddled against her back, shielding himself. It was mid-afternoon. They were heading west on one of the smaller highways and had been for several weeks. The main highways were not an option, the risk of running into enforcers too high. The back roads weren't an option either. The possibility of getting hurt, lost, or stranded, even running into those turned violent by loss of hope, all too real. Sticking to the smaller highways, once avoided because of lower speed limits and higher number of stoplights, was the safest option. They very rarely ran into others these days. Sometimes she could convince herself they were the only two people left in the world. Sometimes the silence of it was deafening. In the beginning, there had been several close calls. Tilda had had no direction, no idea, really. She was 16 when she escaped the state-run hospital in Atlanta. How was she, a teenager with no experience surviving in the wild and staying under the radar, supposed to care for a baby while in hiding? Supposed to keep him quiet when the enforcers were near? At first, she'd been too afraid to take any kind of risk, sneaking into abandoned convenience stores for food and drink, a bath after a fashion, sleeping in ditches and empty cars. But necessity and worry for her child had driven her into more populated areas. She hadn't made it far from Atlanta, Huntsville, Alabama, when she had her first encounter with enforcers. Desperate with both the need for advice and a balm for her aching heart, Tilda resolved to find a way to contact her parents. She knew this to be a risky undertaking. She dismissed it as such for as long as she could, but something like a barely contained panic overpowered her rationality. Only government officials had working cell phones, and most landlines were out of service, but Tilda, while exploring a large abandoned house near the city center of Huttsville, had found a functioning landline. Fingers trembling, she had carefully dialed the number to her parents' home, dragging each digit to the forefront of her mind. Balancing her baby in one arm, she held the handset against her ear, straining to hear the connection being made. Seconds passed, and she'd almost given up, but then a click sounded, a staticky connection established. Her heart sped up with each ring, galloping by the time the answering machine sounded. Her eyes had stung at her mother's genteel voice, quiet and refined. Slowly, she lowered the phone back to its cradle, a lump in her throat preventing her from forming any sound. 
A part of her, the part that believed everything would be okay, believed her mother would sense it had been her daughter, would know what her child had wanted to tell her. All the things left unsaid bubbled like acid in the back of her brain, keeping her from sleep that night despite the small, comfy bed she had chosen. She'd been too intimidated to sleep in the big one, Madison wrapped in a blanket, peaceful in her arms. She kept telling herself to enjoy sleeping in a bed with blankets, but thoughts of who lived in this house, who had once slept in this bed, invaded her mind. Shadows of the past roaming the rooms and halls like ghosts, twisting and turning and leading back to the conversation with her mother that she had never had and would never have. On this night, in this house that should have been a luxury, she longed for her blanket and pillows in the backseat of a car, more scared here than on the night she'd spent outside in the ditches. She kept expecting someone to show up, demanding that she leave. When Tilda's eyes finally started to droop, she heard the creak of a door swinging open. The shot of adrenaline that surged through her veins almost jolted her upright, but the baby slumbering in her arms kept her still. Slowly, she disentangled herself from the sheets, shifting the child carefully as she swung her legs over the side. Low voices sounded from the foyer as she eased the window open and climbed out of it, landing on dewy grass like a cat. Bouncing Madison in one arm, she reached up and slid the frame back in place, shaking hands slipping. She ducked as a beam of light spilled out of the window she had just shut, a whine of fear escaping her lips. Tilda had stumbled away, knees wobbling, bent almost in half in fear of being seen. Glancing back, she saw the sleek black outline of the enforcer's vehicle. She flattened herself against the plastic slabs meant to resemble wood of the house caddy corner to the one she'd just vacated, only for her heart to skip a beat when she saw another enforcer car parked in the driveway of this house as well. Madison whimpered quietly in her ear. Her grip had tightened. She edged along the side of the house, crouching as she passed windows. Once clear of that house, she had darted over to the next and the next, all the while convinced the enforcers were right behind her, closing in. But she had escaped and never tried to call home again. It had been a long night of jumping at every sound, every flash of light, stealing alongside the road, shivering and clutching her bundle to her, so angry at herself. Bargaining with the God she no longer believed in, her heart thumping painfully in her chest. Pictures had unfolded in her mind's eye of what they'd do to her and to Madison if they were caught. And at the darkest part of the night, hands numb, a small part of her wondered if maybe it would be a good thing. They probably could do a much better job raising a child than she. Certainly, they could provide for him better than she could on their run. Healthier food, warmer clothes, a nice place to sleep, stability. Once he got older, how would she teach him? He'd have no friends save her to talk to. How long could she keep this up? Was she doing what was best for her son? But they'd made it out of Huntsville. Her exhausted legs like noodles as the sun rose over the horizon, fiery rusted hues painting the asphalt and leaves. She'd kept walking, almost on autopilot, until they had crossed into Tennessee and her legs could carry her no more. How unintelligent and young and naive she'd been. The doubt she had had then still plagued her now, but the decision was made. She loved Madison too much to imagine life without him, selfish or not. 
The thought of him, his fingers twisting nervously as was his habit, staring up with his wide eyes at cold enforcers who didn't love him, who would be curt with him, not understand his needs like she did, it made her stomach clench painfully. Are hawks nice birds? Madison's question pulled her out of her thoughts. She glanced up, searching the skies. The hawk still soared overhead. They aren't mean birds, Tilda answered. The hawk flew over the road in front of them, a vanguard. What do they eat? A small smile twisted at Tilda's lips. Hmm, let's see, she began mock thoughtfully. Snakes, rabbits, baby squirrels. I know there was something else. What was it? Was it mice? Madison piped up just as Tilda knew he would. Could be, Tilda said, a playful grin blossoming on her face. It was, Madison squealed. He eats mice. We better hope he doesn't see you, Tilda advised in the most serious voice she could muster. Or he might decide to have an afternoon snack. Oh no, Madison giggled in her ear. Mouse was Tilda's nickname for Madison. Don't worry, Tilda reassured him. This hawk looks very friendly, don't you think? Madison nodded against her shoulder. Do you think he lives here? I bet he does. Probably has a little family of his own, but he can fly wherever he wants, I guess. A family? Little baby hawks? Excitement shone in Madison's voice. Tilda hummed her agreement, worry growing inside her as the wind picked up. They needed to find somewhere to stay, soon. Where are we? Used to Madison's rapid subject changes, she answered promptly, Oklahoma. And she figured they had been for almost two weeks. Oklahoma rivaled Kansas when it came to sheer, flat vastness, beyond the horizon and further than the brain could comprehend. While Tilda had no destination in mind other than not the East Coast, she generally headed west, where there weren't as many conception facilities, enforcers, and government presence in general. About a year and a half back, she'd run into an obstacle in the form of roadblocks. She had altered course heading north. A vague memory of her parents praising Canada's handling of the HSV-5 crisis put the idea in her head that maybe she went far north, passing to what used to be known as Canada, she would be safe. It was a long shot, she knew. Borders dissolving and all that. Arms messages broadcasted across the world. But she didn't have anything else, as long as she could avoid Chicago. So, she had taken a steady northwestern path that soon began to realize how dangerous the cold would become during the winter the further north she strayed. The colder months were difficult enough as it was. She got as far as Missouri before she changed course, heading back south. It had been a dream anyway. There was nowhere safe for her and her son anymore. Oklahoma. Madison pronounced each syllable carefully, waiting for her approval. Yep, Oklahoma. At least that's what the signs say. Are we going to stop soon? Madison prodded, then his voice lowered. I'm kind of hungry. His admission held a hint of shame, and Tilda once again felt a cavernous inadequacy that she couldn't provide for him, that he would feel his hunger was something he should keep hidden. The relationship between them, in Tilda's view, was more of an older sister and younger brother than mother and son. She felt too young to be a mother of a seven-year-old child. She didn't know what she was doing, or how to be a mother, or even what it really meant. Her own mother was a fine example, one she did her best to emulate, but she didn't have the resources or that quiet confidence her mother had. She didn't know what to say like her mother did. Tilda felt she was missing something crucial. Simply put, 
she didn't feel like a mother. More like a copy, a fake, masquerading. And Madison was too young to know the difference. Didn't know any better. As soon as we see a place, Tilda said, the lack of buildings or any type of civilization await in her stomach. And then, in an attempt to ensure he didn't feel like he had to keep his needs a secret, I'm hungry too, Mouse. There was silence for a moment, only wind and the rustle of leaves. Tilda knew it wouldn't last long. Or at least, she hoped it wouldn't. Madison was a chatty child, something Tilda encouraged. She didn't want his speech to be impeded due to lack of practice. Her mother had spoken about developmental learning problems in children who weren't exposed to speech and didn't get to practice it themselves. So eager was Madison to learn, it hadn't been difficult to teach him to speak. He regularly called out the names of things he saw as they walked, enthusiastically wanting to put words to what he'd seen only in books on the occasions when they had stopped for a few weeks in a town where Tilda made it a priority to locate textbooks for Madison. She got him to read her stories and practice his writing, helped him work through math, taught him history. He was extremely intelligent, she thought. And though she imagined most parents believed that about her children, Madison picked up information and concepts so readily that he made it look easy. Interspersed as these sessions were, Tilda implemented a system of teaching him 10 new words a day, going over multiplication tables out loud, getting him to tell her a story, anything she could do to engage him and keep him learning. Once he'd got a handle on words and could string together basic phrases, she came up with a game, one of many they would come up with during their long treks, where he would point out the wildlife and plants around them, naming them or learning the name from her. It was a game he loved, excitedly calling out words for everything he saw, halting mid-sentence, wanting more information on whatever he had labeled, a game he still played. When Madison kept his silence for a long period of time, it usually indicated a problem. You can put me down now. Tilda hesitated, a tiny falter in her steps. You sure? Mm-hmm, he nodded. All right. She knelt down and let him slide off her back, then turned to straighten his worn navy blue coat. He held out his hand as she stood, and Tilda grasped it, the tiniest grimace flashing across her features at the coolness of his skin. Together they started forward. Tilda could just make out a sign up ahead and tried not to get too hopeful. Her back throbbed a bit and her feet ached, but there was nothing for it. Either they'd find a place before nightfall or not. She wanted a place they could stay for a while, find some new clothes, better food, and new books for Madison. How come the leaves change colors? Tilda watched the leaves swirl in front of them, furring her brow as she dredged the depths of her brain for the answer. You remember what we learned about plants turning sunlight into chlorophyll? At Madison's affirmative nod, Tilda continued, hoping she was recalling correctly. The days get shorter in the fall, so there's less light to make chlorophyll for the trees. Madison listened to her explanation, face open and hazel eyes wide. Tilda swallowed. Chlorophyll is what makes the leaves green. The less they get, the more the other colors in the leaves show up. So those colors were there all along. To some extent, I think there's another chemical process that enhances it, uh, makes it stronger. She added at Madison's confused look, uh, the other colors. We'll have to look it up next time we see a school or a library. The leaves always come back. How come trees don't die in the winter? They stored up some water and food during the summer, and they don't eat as much because they don't have any leaves. How come the leaves stay the same color on some trees? You're thinking of evergreens. They have needles instead of leaves. The needles fall, but they grow right back, and they stay green. Hi. Tilda smiled down at him. 
that's just how they are. I think they adapted to low nutrition levels or, or something like that. Madison looked away for a moment, nibbling his lip. He returned his gaze to her face solemn. How long did that take for them to ad- adapt? A uh, long time, Tilda responded. How long? Madison persisted, jiggling her hand with his own. I don't know. Millions of years, maybe? She inwardly cursed her old school and its woefully inadequate, in retrospect, coverage on plants. Oh, Madison murmured, a frown marring his face. What is it? Tilda scratched at one of the sores on her face. The wind was drying them out, giving her skin a stretched feeling. Madison pulled his hand away, wringing his fingers together. She reached out and grasped them, stilling his movement, a sure signal of his anxiety. I was just thinking, maybe we'll adapt to low levels of nutrition. The word was pulled out, and she nodded at his correct pronunciation, repeating it back to him to help cement the word into that ever-growing dictionary inside his brain. So we wouldn't need to eat as much. She felt a pang in her heart at the question in the innocent way he asked it. Not in our lifetime, Mouse. She rifled through the carrier bag at her hip, fishing out a package of granola. Their supplies were dwindling. Ripping the package open with her teeth, she handed it to Madison, who half-heartedly protested before accepting the small snack, munching on it quietly. The sun lowered slowly as evening drew closer. They would need to find somewhere soon. The night would be too cold to keep moving. When Madison finished his granola, Tilda traded him the plastic wrapper for a water bottle that was cool thanks to the temperature. He sipped at it slowly before handing it back to her. He learned the importance of conservation at an early age. Why don't you tell me a story? Tilda prodded, retaking his tiny hand in hers. Madison pursed his lips and thought, brow furrowed, before he obliged, spinning a tale of tree spirits, the forbidden love between the sun god and the moon goddess, and heroic cock befriending a bunny rabbit. The imaginative story drew a laugh from Tilda more than once and passed the time pleasantly enough, but she couldn't rid herself of the worry, constant these days, that they wouldn't find a place to stay the night. The chill nipped at them, leaching through thin clothes that had seen too much use. Madison's feet began to drag, and he stumbled over more and more words. Without prompt, she lifted the light child into her arms, where he pulled up her jacket and snuggled inside it, his head popping out of her collar so her coat was stretched around him. I'm a Joey, he used to cheerfully shout when he was younger after Tilda taught him the word, telling him he resembled a baby kangaroo when he snuggled inside her jacket like this. She could see a fenced-in area coming up on the right as the sun sunk lower behind the horizon, cool pinks and oranges casting soft light around them. It didn't look promising, but what choice did they have? They were both exhausted and cold, and the light was fading quickly. Dusky twilight had taken over by the time they reached the fence. It was a junkyard. Dusty, abandoned cars and scrap metal littered throughout a smooth lot of dirt. A rusted lock held the chain-linked doors closed. Tilda rattled the chains, testing them. The gap between the two sections of the fence was wide enough for them to shimmy through. She lowered Madison to the ground, strangely cold without the warmth of his body next to hers. Holding the doors apart as wide as she could, she urged Madison to pass through them. Careful, she told him as he wriggled between the two bars. The last thing they needed was for him to get an infection. Maybe not the last thing, but it would be a devastating, potentially fatal blow for them. Tilda pushed her way in after, the gates clanging shut behind her. The fit had been relatively easy. Lack of food had left them both skinny. Instinctively, she held her hand out and Madison immediately took it. Her cursory glance around showed a small shack to their left. 
Pulling the boy behind her, she cautiously approached the building, the door hanging off its hinges and swinging creakily in the wind, thumping against the wood. A fluorescent light glowed dimly from inside, but that didn't necessarily mean someone was in there. There were bulbs that could emanate light for hundreds of years without power if installed properly. All they needed was sunlight. Sort of like the leaves. She pressed up against the side of the building next to the door. Madison followed her, silent, almost comically stealthy. Giving his hand a comforting squeeze, she pulled free from him, leaning forward, slowly, holding her breath to get a look inside. Her first glance revealed nobody. Around them, the cicadas crested and fell, a harmonious cacophony. The air had stilled, only a soft breeze occasionally picking up and just as quickly fading away. Tilda stepped inside, alert brown eyes darting all around her, checking for any threats or signs that someone still resided here. Madison peeked around the doorframe, a sliver of his face the only visible part of him. Glass crunched underneath her feet, startling her. She drew in a quick breath, freezing. The window above her had shattered. Willing herself to calm down, she began to take inventory of their surroundings, gesturing for Madison to follow her inside. He came in reluctantly, judging every step with a careful calculation. The wood creaked under his feet anyway, and he directed guilty eyes to Tilda, who gave him a wan smile and held out her hand. He rushed forward and grasped it in both of his, plastering himself to her side. A wooden table with only three legs stood in the corner, propped up against the wall. Opposite it was a metal bed frame sans mattress, rusted springs poking out, no longer attached. Closest to her was a shelf of mildewed books, a stack of moldy cards and odd office supplies, pencils, paper clips, staples, pens. Across from that was a mini fridge and on the right wall was a small bathroom. Tilda strode over to the fridge, doubting there'd be anything useful inside, but to not check would be foolish. The door resisted a bit, red rust melting it shut for years, but Tilda jerked it open. There was nothing inside but a busted can of soda. Sighing heavily, Tilda shut the door as best she could and then went to investigate the bathroom, not expecting anything useful from it either. She approached the sink, twisting the cold knob. Dirty water spluttered out, hissing, and then became a steady drip. Tilda huffed again, shutting the water off out of habit. Come on. She led Madison out into the junkyard, apprehension growing as the darkness set in. The cars looked like dormant monsters, creatures that could jump to life and attack at any moment. A maze of monsters, she thought, as she started to weave her way through the rusty metal husk. Best to seek some cover within the junkyard, she decided, just in case. When she found one that appeared to be in good condition, at least as far as she could tell in the darkness, she tugged the back door open with a metallic croak, motioning Madison inside. His face was somber, resigned. She climbed in after him, shutting the door. The leather seats were cold, but they weren't lumpy like most cars they camped in were. The windows were still intact. Rust had yet to eat through the roof or walls. The exterior was black, and it was surrounded by lines of other cars, so it blended in. At least, that was the idea. You want something else to eat? Madison hesitated, but shook his head no, even though they both knew the answer was yes. We'll find something tomorrow, all right? She hated herself in that moment. Useless, useless, useless. The word ran in circles around her head, unrelenting and unforgiving. Madison nodded against her shoulder, eyes drooping, trusting her, believing she knew what she was doing. She rubbed his arms to warm them, pulling his head up to cover his ears and provide some extra warmth, doing the same with her own. 
They had shed their warm clothes after last winter as the temperatures rose, and in Madison's case, he had outgrown them. She had expected to pick some more up, but towns had been scarce these past few months. They had left one last month, where they had stayed for three weeks to celebrate Madison's seventh birthday, abruptly when the sound system had blared to life with an announcement from ARM's leader. The voice of Aaron Delane, although it was widely accepted his wife Darla used him as a voice box, had put Tilda so on edge she demanded they get out of Enid immediately, her urgency frightening Madison. He'd grown to fear the broadcast, and she couldn't be sure if this was due to the content or as a consequence of her own reactions. Either way, better to be afraid. Those announcements never boded well. But they'd left in such a hurry they'd forgotten their backpacks. Not that there had been much in them anyway, but more than what they had now. We'll get some warmer clothes too, she said. What a fraud she was. He yawned his assent. She wrapped her arms around him, laying them down on the cold black leather seats. He curled up in the fetal position against her, shivering a bit. Tilda rested her head atop his massy brown hair. She thought he'd fallen asleep immediately, but a sleepy voice murmured, Will you tell me a story? Her own eyes heavy as she breathed. What would she like to hear? Robin Hood. Tilda smiled tiredly, unsurprised. It was one of his favorites, although she doubted he'd last long. Sure enough, his breathing evened out around the time of the archery tournament. She followed not long after. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect, whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And that brings us to the end of this chapter one of our multi-chaptered event. I hope you stuck with it. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I was I was reading over this, and when I read it, 
It did bring back a lot of memories. And that I have, I've always wondered why this story came to mind for me. Um, this chapter was big about like feeling like a failure as a mother, which again, I wrote this in 2010. I didn't have kids. I don't have kids. So I think that's interesting. But I was thinking about this because I've always sort of wondered why I chose a baby boy instead of a baby girl in the story. And as I've been like reading it and thinking about it and like doing this podcast mm -hmm. and digging into trauma more, um, and especially this chapter where there's a lot of elements of her, of the main character, Tilda, feeling like uh, older sisters compared to his mother. I think it's because I was so protective of my little brother and I had to take care of him for, for quite a while. So it makes sense. But that has been something that's always been on my mind. And even thought, like, once I started the show, I was like, I should go back and make it like a, a mother-daughter team. Um, I just never did. But... <laughs> Uh, that's something I've always thought about. But yeah, yeah, I'm excited and nervous for you all to go through this um, with with us because uh, it's going to get more intense. But I uh, hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Um, and we'll be back next month with chapter two. Bum bum. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you, Samantha. I got you. Thanks for the support. <laughs> um, <laughs> And if you would like to contact us, if there's any fiction that's in the public domain you would like us to read, that would be great. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always. Super special thanks to the amazing Christina. Thank you. Yes. Who is our super producer, in case you didn't know. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions.